Hey everyone, for this podcast, I wanted to uh, follow up on some resources I've been sharing with you about Halloween, how Christians should engage uh, with that day, how we should see it and approach it uh, faithfully and wisely, and um, address perhaps some related matters uh, surrounding that as well. And the first thing I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about is just the origin of Halloween and uh, to what extent that matters. Um, most historians trace Halloween back to the ancient Celtic festival uh, that uh, Pope Gregory III sort of designated. I mean, November 1st was the day that he designated as All Saints Day. And so the night before, October 31st, became All Saints Eve. And people would gather around bonfires, wear costumes as a way of superstitiously, you know, warding off ghosts. And some would even treat that day as a day of communing with the dead um, in a very paganistic type of way. So all in all, um, the the origin of this was very pagan and not at all biblical. Now, this didn't reach us here in the States until the mass Irish-Scottish immigration uh, during the 19th century. And this started to become practiced in our nation and around the already around the mid-1800s or so, people started to dress up in costumes and go house to house. Not so much for candies at that time, it was more for food and for money. Um, but that practice eventually became what we call trick-or-treat today. And by then, it's lost most of its original meaning that it had in the Celtic festivals. Now, the point I want to make here, though, is not uh, that we should know what the precise origin is. There's actually some other historical debates about you know what might even go further back uh, than the Celtic tradition. Um, I think the, the bigger point here is that the origin doesn't matter ultimately. I think it's, it's good to know what the origins are, but it doesn't matter ultimately. What matters ultimately is whether we can redeem it and transform it. It's about what we do with it now. And let me give you one historical example of how we've done this, and then a couple of biblical passages to maybe uh, make the case for it and kind of address some relevant issues surrounding this. So to this day, I've actually not personally met any Christian who wouldn't celebrate Christmas in any shape or form, whether it's you know, writing a Christmas card or attending a Christmas Eve service, giving someone a gift, or just having a Christmas tree at home, or just saying good old Merry Christmas to a stranger. Um, but interestingly, many Christians are not aware of the origin of Christmas and that it wasn't originally a Christian holiday celebrating the birth of Christ, the Son of God. Not at all. Uh, it was actually a pagan holiday established by Rome. Uh, it was winter solstice. Um, days were getting darker and darker towards the end of the year. But right around December 25th, the sun, and that's S-U-N, sun, sort of makes this great comeback and the, the days are starting to get longer and longer again and the Romans they turn that into a pagan celebration of the sun the star and that this is the unquenchable uh, uh, a light that will never go out as if to symbolize Rome will be forever that was the origin of Christmas it was very pagan and quite idolatrous um, but see the church came along and said hey let's tie this to Jesus, uh, where Malachi prophesied about the Messiah saying, uh, the son of righteousness, and that's S-U-N as well, the son of righteousness will 
rise and, and come with healing in his, in his wings. So they said, let's make this about Jesus, not about the sun in, in, in the heavens, but Jesus, the son of God. So St. Augustine actually wrote on this uh, about Christians celebrating Christmas, saying, quote, hence it is that he was born on the day which is the shortest in our earthly reckoning and from which subsequent days began to increase in length. So he's directly tying the birth of Christ and the hope that he brings, the light he brings into the world with winter solstice. And then he goes on to say, quote, He therefore who bent low and lifted us up chose the shortest day, yet the one whence light begins to increase. So this is why we celebrate Christmas as a church today, and it's really largely become a Christian celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ at this point. Uh, virtually no one ties Christmas anymore to the Roman pagan tradition. Um, again, I just have not met a Christian who has a problem with celebrating Christmas today because it originated from a pagan practice, uh, even an idolatrous uh, practice, because we have redeemed it and we have transformed it. And we do all sorts of things like this with, with our freedom of conscience, where we focus not so much on something's origin, but on its present purpose and meaning. I mean, you know, I, I, I wasn't always an American citizen, and, and much of my life I was a Korean citizen. And the Korean flag itself, uh, I learned later on, it was very much rooted in Taoism, the philosophy of um yang, yin and yang, this dualistic existence of good and evil uh, that will always be in constant conflict uh, for all eternity. And that's, that's the universe, which is very unbiblical. Um, but that didn't stop me or millions and millions of other Korean Christians from waving the Korean flag, uh, wearing it on T-shirts, um, or singing the national anthem. When clearly the, the Hananim in, in, the, in the anthem is not the same triune God that we profess in the Christian faith. But see, when Christians sing the national anthem and when I sing the Korean national anthem, I always refer, or I should say maybe redeem that title to mean the triune God. So we do this with even our national flag and anthem as well. And... There's a biblical example of this in Acts chapter 17, where Paul, addressing a group of uh, people worshiping a God, they call it the unknown God. The unknown God. Paul says, this unknown God, I'm going to proclaim to you. He is the God who created everything, the Lord of heaven and earth. And he doesn't live in temples made by human hands. And he made from one man, every nation of mankind, meaning there's one people, and they, that they should seek him. And so he's inviting everyone to be grafted into true Israel of God. And he's using this very pagan uh, deity and redeeming it for the purpose of evangelizing the very people who worship this, this pagan deity. He's transformed it. Um, the last thing I'll say about this is just the father of our own faith, Abraham, who himself wasn't a Jew or an Israelite, but a, a pagan who lived in Ur of the Chaldeans, just years after the Tower of Babel. And God calls him and says, in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, I'm going to redeem you from your father's house and make you a different house. 
and he establishes his everlasting covenant with him that extends to today and even to Gentiles who are now counted as true offspring of Abraham, grafted into uh, true eternal Israel. God has always been in the business of redeeming and transforming what is originally not of him. People who are not called are now called. People who didn't have mercy now have mercy. God is always in the business of redeeming and transforming. Now, I'm coming to the conclusion now where, you know, what might that look like for Halloween? Uh, this, is not, this is not an uncommon practice to Christians for us to redeem something that's entirely pagan or secular for the glory of God. What might that look like on October 31st? Now, along with that, um, I think it's important for us to also consider other biblical passages that give people the freedom to not exercise or not participate in any way um, um, in celebrating Halloween. Um, and the, the passage I want to refer you to here is 1 Corinthians 8. There's a fascinating uh, passage here about um, eating food offered to idols. And I think when you study this passage, it really gives you a really good balance between compassion and commission. You have to hold on to this balance, or it might be even a tension between compassion and commission. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 8, in verse 7, it says, Some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So these are converts to Christianity who used to attend the temple where they worshipped idols and they ate the food that were offered to idols there. Um, and it's fine that they find that to be uh, a, bother, a, a, a thing that weighs on their conscience. But Paul also says in verse 8, you know, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. Okay? So he, he does give you the freedom to say, you know, you can really eat it or not eat it. You're no better you know, eating it, no better refraining from it. Why? Because it's really not about the food. Um, it's not what goes in that makes us uh, unclean. Or um, it's, it's really what Jesus said in Mark 7. It's, it's not what we eat that makes us unclean. Right? Or anything that goes inside us that makes us unclean. But it's what comes out of our hearts that makes us unclean. Um, when we sin, we can't say, uh, so-and-so made me do it. No, our hearts made me do it. Um, and so in, in Mark 7, it says, Thus he declared all foods clean. In another way, Jesus fulfills the law under the new covenant. And the, the shadowy figures of the old covenant, the, the dietary laws, pass away in the coming of Christ. And, and we've been learning that in the book of Hebrews. Now, so that means um, you do have to have that basic understanding, even as you go about just practicing what is um, true according to your conscience, meaning those who are weighed down by this should not eat, but they should not judge those who do uh, as if they are uh, practicing or participating in idol worship by eating the food that's been offered to idols, that, that pagan origin, as it were. Now, Paul also goes on to say in verse 9, um, Therefore, take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So it goes the other way, where those who do partake of this should not judge those who don't, as if you know they are uh, not as faithful um, or something like that, not as mature or something like that. And verse 10 says, 
if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? In other words, you know, be mindful of your brothers and sisters who might stumble and be wounded in their conscience because of your actions. Right? So practice compassion towards your brothers and sisters in this and not be judgmental. Don't disregard them and just live as if uh, your actions have no consequences in your, in your covenant community. Uh, but practice com- compassion. And so this is why we don't celebrate Halloween or do anything for Halloween as a church, um, as NCA. Um, you can do it as your household uh, or not do it as a household. I, th- I think parents should lead their covenant children in the direction that they deem best in the way that they would best honor the Lord together as a household. But whatever we do, we should talk about it with our children and and teach our children to exercise both compassion and commission. So teaching them, you know, why we don't practice this, but why we don't judge those who do. And finding other ways to be missional. Um, and that's the other thing we have to strive for. That is obeying the Great Commission. At some point, you know, we got to engage the world. We got to enter uh, the darkness. So if not on Halloween, we got to reach our neighbors in some other day. So on some other day with hospitality in one hand gospel truth in the other hand so going back to pass the passage in first corinthians 8 paul says it's not a good idea to be seen eating in an idol's temple now that's very interesting paul doesn't say don't eat in an idol's temple but he says don't be seen that you might cause them to stumble and the the natural question is you know, why would any christian want to be found in an idol's temple eating with idol worshipers and the only reasonable answer to that is in order to evangelize them to befriend them so you can share the gospel with them and this is where we see the great commission that christ gave us coming to life where people belonging to christ going into the world uh, and not being out of the world not not being absent from the world this reminds me of the time when i you know visited a mosque uh, with my seminary uh, mission professor and we went to uh, just greet the imam there, and we, we share some food together. Um, and we had a lively conversation or debate, depending on how you see it, you know, about the identity of Christ and about uh, the gospel of, of, of his death and resurrection. Um, you know, sometimes you just have to go to them. Now, of course, if somebody just shared, the fo- shared a, let's say, a photo of me inside a mosque on Facebook, that could cause some of our church members to stumble. So maybe it's better to refrain from being seen that way. But in the same way, and the others, in the, on the flip side, um, I mean, that shouldn't keep me from wanting to reach them, right? Because uh, I want to honor the Lord in that way. So that's something you have to, to weigh and, and discern, you know, um, and of course, this is not for everyone. Yeah, and I would not take a brand new Christian to a mosque. This is something that takes discernment and, and perhaps you know, discipleship to gauge, you know, where is God taking you now to be missional? But you see the tension, right? On the one hand, you do have to be mindful of the other person's conscience and be compassionate. On the other hand, you know, Christians should not be too worried about how they appear to others or what people might say about them because you know, that can hinder you from obeying the Great Commission. Uh, if you're unable to reach any non-believer because you're keeping a distance from anything that's ungodly, that can severely hinder you from obeying the Great Commission. 
And as followers of Jesus, we have to actually get on his mission at some point of seeking and saving the lost, right? Seeking and saving, not just waiting for the lost to come to us, but seeking them out, going to them. So, so think about Jesus' own life, right? He ate regularly with tax collectors and sinners, and the outcome of that was he was called a drunkard. Not because he got drunk, but because the people around him got drunk. And yet Jesus didn't stop, that didn't stop Jesus from uh, being around tax collectors and sinners didn't stop him from calling even one of them to be one of his apostles. We are salt and light, right? We were meant to go where there is no taste, where there is only darkness. And that missional heart is ultimately what God looks upon when it comes to our engaging with the world. Man looks upon the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. So uh, let's just, you know, think about that. Where is my heart on October 31st? And how will I best honor the Lord with a clean heart, with a heart that is both compassionate and uh, missional? And let's keep in mind, as, as always, that the problem of sin and darkness and evil that Jesus came to resolve resides ultimately in our hearts. You know, the problem is not mainly on our streets or ghost-decorated homes. In our hearts, and in our children's hearts. That's where the problem of, of sin lies. And we all need the cleansing that comes from the word of Christ and his gospel. And it's why we confess our sins regularly, why we train our children to confess their sins. And we believe, as it says in First Corinthians, Corinthians 7, just one chapter before 8, that our children are already clean because of our faith, their parents' faith. So with that confidence, you know, with this light already dwelling within us, Let's go into the world. Let's reach the world um, to the capacity that God has uh, given us uh, with the ability that he's given us and the, the resources that, and the, and the uh, training that he's given us. And let's continue to be trained and equipped so that we can do this more and more. And on that, on that point about how we can be more missional, be more of salt and light um, on Halloween, I'd like to share more of that with you uh, next week. Uh, 